Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we are closing out our four-part miniseries on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have been going through every movie in that they've released in the lead-up to Avengers Endgame. And today in our closing chapter, we will be discussing Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Captain Marvel. So just to, to dive in... Um, Thor Ragnarok is a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, No, I mean, Thor Ragnarok actually has a really interesting development trajectory. And you can even see it yourself. When they first announced this film, it sounded like it was going to be a lot darker than other Thor, even other Thor movies. Like it was going to be, I mean, even the title Ragnarok is like an apocalyptic thing. And so it seemed like they were really going to head towards a darker direction. And then they were like, Okay, this isn't I think Marvel figured like okay, Thor and Thor the Dark World like they've been fine, but they're not really getting us anywhere. And what if we took it in a new direction? What if we went more comedic? And I think that worked for them. Yeah, I think it was actually Chris Hemsworth was uh kind of the one creatively spearheading like I know that very specifically like in his career he was looking for more comedic work. I think Vacation was one of the first movies um where he did, he went full comedic um and just said that he really wanted to have a lot more fun with the character, let loose with the character. I think a lot of that came out of what he was doing with Joss Whedon on the Avengers films as well. And then he would, you know, go back to his Thor movies, which were just kind of droll and, you know, everything's taken too seriously. Uh, so I think it was really smart to uh, essentially reboot the franchise with Thor Ragnarok. You really don't have to have seen the other two Thor movies to understand Thor. You could just watch Thor Ragnarok and you get it. And look, I get like if you are a fan of Thor and Thor the Dark World and those people are out there. I know them um, like this movie will bum you out <laughs> because it's <laughs> so different and it's in such a different voice like the way Thor acts and behaves in this is such a far cry from who he is that it almost doesn't work. It almost feels like a completely different character, but I think Hemsworth is able to tie it all together and still make you believe like this is still the Thor that was in previous Marvel movies, even if he's a lot funnier (laughs) than he was in those movies. It's a tightrope walk to be sure, and I think – I mean some of the other names that were bandied about uh, to direct were Ruben Fleischer who did Zombieland, uh, Rob Letterman who did Goosebumps, and Ross and Marshall Thurber who did Dodgeball. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think any one of them could have made it work. I think it's the very specific brand of very silly comedy that Taika Waititi does that makes it go down. Because it is a complete, total reinvention of the character. He is not the same Thor as we saw in the other movies in this movie. From the opening scene, where he's just kind of like sillily uh, like chatting with a big bad that, you know, in Thor The Dark World would have been taken as like a very serious, dangerous threat. Uh, and here he's just kind of having some fun with him. Um, so I think that looseness, that silliness, that eagerness to just kind of speed through um, the plot and the action beats um, that Taika Waititi has goes a long way towards making this uh, kind of reinvention palatable. Yeah, I definitely think you really hear uh, Waititi's voice throughout the f- – I mean, not just when he's playing Korg, but just in all – like there's a lot of comedy that is specific to him. And I think honestly – 
makes Thor Ragnarok a stronger film. Even though I think Thor Ragnarok, I would almost argue, is too comic. Like, it's a film that really doesn't want to settle down to consider the gravitas of any moment. It's very eager for the next joke. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, because Waititi has a very specific comedic sensibility, it makes this movie feel different than something like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, it doesn't, it's not just like, more laughs in space. Like, it really is this particular director, his voice, his vision, and using the Thor character to kind of make that work. And it's not even the traditional setup payoff nature of jokes. It's just like, so silly. Just Korg, you know, just introducing his friend Meek, who has knives for hands. <laughs> and Meek is just, you know, zip-zopping away next to him. <laughs> like, there's no joke there. There's no punchline. It just is funny. Uh, and that's just a lot of what, this this is i mean there there are like joke set pieces like when thor tries to throw the ball out the window and it hits him in the head um and those land really well but so much of it is just being silly and joyous i think joy is kind of the operative word when it comes to thor ragnarok and i just have an absolute blast with it even yeah. down to the villain which is the grandmaster and hilla um like they're both very fun and funny yeah i mean it is a film that very much lets you know that all bets are kind of off and like, it's trying to reframe what you think, you know, about like, it's, it's a Thor film that's actively questioning what Thor has been to this point in a lot of ways. And again, if you're like a fan of what Thor was, you're, you're going to hate this, (laughs) but like, it's good. I think it's good. It's good to have a film. That's like, how was Asgard built? Not like not peacefully or, you know, isn't Thor and Loki's relationship a little tired with Loki constantly betraying him, shouldn't we move it forward? You know, like what is, you know, if Thor's relationship to what, what is Thor's relationship to Hulk even like, you know, like the questioning what these things are and not taking them. I think in a, in a weird counterintuitive way by not taking them seriously, it allows them to evolve. It allows them to move forward when you, I think there's a temptation that when you treat everything with absolute respect, it becomes sort of like a, you know, don't touch my stuff, you know, or move it very, very carefully and very consciously. And I think Thor, because Ragnarok is kind of reckless, it actually moves things forward. Yeah. I mean, it literally tears down Asgard. So I, I remember in the development of it, they were like, this movie's going to be very dark. It's going to play a major role leading to Infinity War. And I guess you could say it does in that, you know, the entirety of Asgard is destroyed and it sets up uh, Thanos as, uh, you know, kind of this uh, species killing machine when he uh, intercepts their ship. Um, but it's just so fun. Yeah, it's it's a really fun movie just to sit down and watch and just... And- to quote and yeah it's a lot of fun and i think in in concert with uh i would say technically it begins with dr strange a little bit i mean one of the things that always bugged me about the marvel movies was that the original scores were not memorable um like the avengers theme was memorable the captain america the first avenger theme was memorable and that was about it it's amazing what alan silvestri can do for you yeah, and beyond that, the original scores were really forgettable and just kind of faded into the background. And I know Kevin Feige is apparently a huge uh, film music nerd uh, and really wanted to get it right. Uh, I believe Michael Giacchino did Doctor Strange. Michael uh, Giacchino did Doctor Strange and Mark Mothersbaugh yeah. did Thor Ragnarok. 
Yeah, and Giacchino did Doctor Strange, so it started with that, where you started to, like, oh, this is a little interesting, a little different. Um, Giacchino came back and did Homecoming, which gave us a really great Spider-Man theme, I thought. A uh, really yes. fun, flighty score. And then Thor Ragnarok, you get Mark Mothersbaugh doing his really tremendous uh, uh, kind of tech-infused, really fun score. Uh, it's kind of psychedelic. Uh, and then that continues in pretty much every, uh, almost every uh, movie that we're we're going to talk about today. Maybe not every, just one more. <laughs> I forgot. But one uh, more, that one more happened to win an Oscar for it. So it, it did. That's true. That's true. But uh, but yeah, I and I wrote an essay about it at the time about how like finally Marvel has figured out how to create memorable original scores, uh, and then they kind of didn't. But. Uh, it, but at it least they're all lasted. Well, it's fun while it lasted, and it's not that it could, and hopefully it will return. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I think Thor Ragnarok, I think the most encouraging thing about Thor Ragnarok is that it says to the audience if we have the right actor and we have the right character, we're not afraid to take a franchise in a radically new direction to make it more palatable and more interesting. Like, we're not so wedded to what to the past that we're not willing to make some bold swings for the future. And so like that, that to me is very encouraging as a fan because it says to me like, yeah, you didn't really like captain Marvel that much. Like it was fine. It's fine for what it is, but I don't have to necessarily think, well, because this captain Marvel movie was mediocre, that the next one will also be mediocre because Marvel can change gears. Yeah. Yeah, they're able to uh I mean, uh, you know, Thor Ragnarok is about as far away from Captain America Civil War as you can get. I think there was a quote from um uh Taika Waititi at the time talking about, you know, Captain America Civil War is humans fighting humans and in Thor Ragnarok it's gods and creatures uh, you know, fighting each other, which is just a lot of fun. And it's really kind of taking that premise and running with it. As opposed to Thor the Dark World that kind of tries to make I don't know what's his name, Malekith? What's the elf dude? Malekith. Malekith, yeah. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what he is. What does he want? What's he doing? He's not really that scary. I mean, the rock monster dude's a little scary, but, you know. I, I, I like that they were just kind of like, yeah, no, we're going to take a radical left turn um, and make something a little more standalone. And I think that's some of the fallout we uh, – I think that it's not a coincidence that after the Marvel Creative Committee, w- Committee was dissolved – we got uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor, Ragnarok, and Black Panther. No, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. And also, the finales no longer revolved around shit falling out of the sky. <laughs> no, no, definitely did not. Um, so yeah, Thor Ragnarok, I think, holds up pretty well. It is, like, I would say its biggest fault is that it just doesn't take anything seriously. So it, yeah. it, it, it has hard, it has a difficult time with its gravitas. Like, it really has t- trouble sitting still and being like, soak in this dramatic moment because it's so eager to move on to the next thing. Yeah. The, uh, the whole, uh, Odin's death scene, which was a reshoot, uh, not only are their visual effects pretty sloppy there, I think because, uh, they shot it pretty late in the game. Um, but it just kind of falls away. And then, uh, I think, uh, I think Cape Blanchett is clearly having a blast as Hela, but there's really not a ton of, as you say, as you say, gravitas or, um, really even pathos to her. She's kind of like, yep, she was his daughter and she was a jerk. Yeah, I, I get it. Like, she's the past that you try to paper over. But the film yeah. in execution is like, isn't it fun watching Kate Blanchett banter with a, a hapless yes. Carl Urban? Who is fun? Like, Carl Urban is so much fun in that movie. But again, <laughs> my guns. I got them from a place called Texas. 
<laughs> he says, look at my stuff. <laughs> he shows them all Des, his stuff. And he calls them Des and Troy. <laughs> yes. It's so silly. God, yeah. it takes nothing seriously. Nothing at all. But it's fun. It's fun to yeah. watch. Um, so moving on, you have probably one of the most important Marvel films. And you're not going to, if you don't like the movie, you're not going to like this. Probably one of the most important films of the 2010s. And it's Black yes. Panther. It's one of the most, sorry, it really is. It is the culmination of superhero cinema going mainstream and pushing it to the next level. I would say Black Panther is as important as The Dark Knight. And I'm not saying that like I love Black Panther. I think the film has some has some issues, but its importance is undeniable at this point. No, I absolutely agree with that. And I do love Black Panther. I think it's the most substantial Marvel movie, most substantial movie Marvel Studios has ever made. Um, you know, again, the dissolution of the creative committee, Ryan Coogler comes in and he says, yes, I'm going to make a superhero movie. I'm also going to make a movie about what it means to be black in America, about what is the morality of being isolationist. You have T'Challa, who's been given a life of privilege, and the Wakandan people live a life of privilege. They have tech that could solve issues all over the globe, and they remain secret in hiding. Uh, and then you have Michael B. Jordan, who uh, is technically a Wakandan, but he grew up in America. Uh, you know, his father, um, did he, was he killed? Did he go to prison? I can't remember which happened first. His father, his uh, father is killed in the, in the first scene of the movie. That's right. That's right. Um, I was mixing it up with the, uh, the dream sequence where they go together. But, uh, you know, but he like, uh, you know, statistically many young black men, he grew up without a father. Uh, in America, you know, in, uh, you know, crime riddled Oakland. And it's seeing how these life experiences shaped these two young uh, princes, essentially, um, shaped their worldview, made them uh, made them who they are and made them see the world how they see it. Those are really challenging ideas to put into a superhero movie. But I think Ryan Coogler does it beautifully. I mean, there's a reason that the movie, uh, you know, was an Oscar winning film and, you know, was on so many critics best of lists. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. I think the other, the thing, one of the things that I really like about black Panther as, as it compares to other Marvel movies is that it feels like a Marvel movie with an artistic purpose, uh, with a very distinctive sense that things are chosen specifically, not necessarily because they're like, Oh, look how close this is to the comics, but because like this costume conveys this, this set, you know, this, uh, uh, marketplace conveys this, this all, all the, the artistic pieces really come alive uh, in a way that if you look even just, you know, later that year in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is a fine movie, but Black Panther comes alive. Black Panther stretches itself. Uh, I would say not even just compared to other Marvel movies. Let's just say in superhero movies in general, it is a film that has the attention to detail that you'd expect in like a costume drama, like the favorite, but it's superheroes. And that level of, of detail really makes it come alive uh, and really rewards repeat viewings. The craftsmanship of it is insane. And Ryan Coogler was allowed to take a bit of a departure. Uh, I mean, if you look at the below the line credits on a lot of Marvel movies, if you look at the cinematographer, the production designer, the costume designer, it's a lot of the same people. Um, they kind of have their in-house people that have done a lot of the movies before. And so that's kind of keeps their house style together 
Brian Kugler said, can I hire my own cinematographer? Can I hire my own costume designer? Can I hire my own production designer? Um, and two of those three won Oscars for their work on the film. Um, and the production designer, Hannah Beekler, had never done a movie of this scale ever before. Um, and then Ludwig, Ludwig Goransson uh, composing the score, which is this like insane, terrific infusion of African music and hip-hop culture, which is the thematic clash in the film. Um, so everything ties together. Everything is 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 about story and character and theme. If you listen to the audio commentary, Kukler talks about like every scene, nothing is out of, out of place in any shot. All the colors matter in every shot. Like the way that she throws her wig is very like thematically is like Kukler has worked it all out that it all means something. Nothing is just done flippantly as like, Oh, it's a superhero movie. Who cares? Like this is just a thing. No, it's he he approached it with the seriousness we usually just assume from, you know, my independent art film. Everything was chosen intentionally. And then because these blockbusters are usually churned out in kind of a factory style, we don't give them as much credit. And sometimes that credit is not warranted. Sometimes you are like it's part of a factory machine and you just you get that sequel out there to cash in on the franchise and keep things running. But Kugler really did bring a level of artistry to Black Panther that was very impressive and very distinctive. Yeah, it's uh, I agree with you. I think it's one of the most important superhero movies of the of the decade. I would also add, though, it is very much a Marvel movie. Um, It is not like it's not a movie that's unrecognizable from the other Marvel films. And that just doesn't mean, and I don't mean that just in terms of like, Ooh, how does it connect to the other Marvel films? Like, you know, claw showed up in age of Ultron or that, you know, this movie picks up after civil war. I mean it in terms of like, there are certain Marvel things that keep happening in Marvel movies and you see it again here in black Panther. It's like the way that certain set pieces go like, Oh, this set piece occurs this, you know, at this point in the film or that, Marvel really, even though they've ditched the creative community, they really love it when like, what if the good guy and the bad guy had similar powers and they fought? Because that has happened since Iron Man. You see it. And, and, and I'm not saying it's, 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 I mean, in Black Panther, it does make sense because um, T'Challa and Killmonger are essentially fighting for the soul of Wakanda. But nevertheless, it's still two dudes in the in similar superpowered suits fighting each other, which you see in Iron Man, you see in Ant Man. It happens. Yes. So, like, and it's fine, but Marvel has certain ways of doing things. Yes, that's true. Um, but I would still say, like, again, Black Panther is a very important film, um, and I love that Marvel's confidence in it was rewarded. That it be- it was the highest grossing domestic film of 2018 people yes. wanted what this film was selling and that Kugler never like the film has very clear makes has a very has very clear messages but it's not a preachy movie no one goes to black panther and feels like they're being lectured to they go to it they see a really fun superhero movie that also has some things on its mind yeah and, and i just love god i so much love the fact that this movie ends not on a shot of t'challa not in wakanda but of a young boy who just who has just encountered T'Challa for the first time and has just seen a spaceship for the first time, a young boy living in the same apartment complex that uh, Killmonger grew up in, um, where T'Challa's father killed him. Um, it's just so meaningful. Yeah, it's a very hopeful, very forward-thinking film, and I think that 
honestly, films like Black Panther, I see as they are the future of cinema. It's going to be, it's still going to be superhero stuff. It's still going to be blockbusters, but you're going to see it from more diverse voices that speak to the diversity of the world. Like these movies are meant to serve a global audience. And I think that that's black Panther is representative of what cinema is moving towards. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And clearly Marvel is learning the right lessons from it. Uh, I mean, they hired Dustin Daniel Cretton to direct Shang Chi, which is their first Asian led superhero movie. Uh, Chloe Zhao is directing the Eternals. So yeah, they're, they're definitely making smart moves. Yeah. Okay, let's let's dig into a film that's going to be a little <laughs> bit more controversial between the two of us. Avengers Infinity War, which I, I still struggle. To, like, it is a film. It's two and a half hours. It's also half a movie. It's <laughs> half the story. It can. It's a film that is both. I It's a film that I accept is kind of infuriating and dumb. And yet I have found it to be surprisingly one of the more rewatchable Marvel movies. Like I've seen, I, I think I've seen, I think I've watched it like five or six times since it came out. Like I, I, I genuinely enjoy just watching this movie more than, even though I fully admit it has some, some real issues. Damn it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I agree. <laughs> I watched this again for the first time in a while last month. And I, each time I watch it, I like it more. Uh, and you wrote a whole that, article being like, Infinity War is bad, actually. <laughs> I, well, and so here's the, the, the kind of the secret to it, and it's what you were alluding to, is that if I watch it as an experience and not as a movie, I have a much better time with it. It's just like, it's not satisfying on a thematic or character level at all to me. And there are still huge swaths of it that I find, or not huge swaths, but there are swaths of it that I find very boring. There's absolutely no reason for Peter Dinklage to be in this movie. There's nothing going on at that whole Thor thing that matters. Um, he built a hammer. Woohoo! Good for him. Um, but, uh, and I still think Thanos is kind of boring, but I agree that it is watchable. Um, or to me, it has become more watchable uh, since when I first watched it. Uh, and I'm as surprised as you are. I mean, I'd, I watched it again last month in anticipation of this podcast. Um, but I mean, my main issue still stands is that it is half a movie. There is no saying none of the characters change throughout the course of this movie. Even Thanos, if you're going to say Thanos is the protagonist, I don't get enough of him to understand or empathize with him. I yeah, don't... Th- Thanos has no arc. I would say that Thanos has very good characterization from Josh Brolin. Yeah, but like, I still don't know why he's very eager and very passionate about overpopulation. Yeah, not a policy wonk that Thanos. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> oh, I don't know how to solve overpopulation. I'll just kill half the universe. Nailed it. They're like, <laughs> At why? Random. And he's like, because my my people didn't listen to me and they all died. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what to well, say. Well, the other thing is, is like, wait, wait. So you have a you if you get all the stones, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're going to cut the population in half. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut the population in half. All the entire universe going to cut it in half. Okay, because there aren't enough resources. Right, there are not enough resources. Couldn't you just snap your fingers and make more resources? <laughs> <laughs> if that is your big problem, like we don't, there aren't enough resources. Just make more resources. Like, wouldn't that solve your problem? Yeah. So. I mean, 
Yeah, and I also think the Black Order stuff is really dumb. I mean, it's it's very clearly just meant to give the Avengers something to do. Like, some kind of force to battle against before they get to the battle against Thanos. Um, and it's like a real waste of Carrie Coon's talent <laughs> to be this kind of faceless person. Henchman, henchwoman, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, there are a lot of things. Like, here are henchmen. And here, like, it's very much, a, like you said, it's an experience. So it's like, it's super fun watching, like, these characters bounce off each other, like in mixtures that you would not have seen in any other Marvel movie and yeah. like getting that interaction. So it's fun to see like star Lord <laughs> bouncing off Iron Man. Like it's fun to see that. Um, and it's, and it makes for a unique film that really does feel like the culmination. And there are also points where they do the characterization better than the movie that the character came from, like Doctor Strange. Yes. Doctor Strange is so much better in Infinity War than he is in his own movie. Yeah. Um, I understand him. Like, he's a dick, but he's a dick who knows that he's right. Whereas, uh, like, Tony Stark is a dick, but he's a dick who thinks that he's right. Yeah. He's not entirely sure, but he's going to kind of dance his way through it and figure it out. As he's going to kind of bullshit his way along. Yeah, whereas Doctor Strange is like, no, I'm the smartest person in the room, and I know it. Right. Um... But, like, I also, you know, the thing is, is they're also, like, I I like the fact that the Russos really, like, they do have a character-first approach. Now, this, what suffers there, obviously, is the narrative. But at least on a character-first approach, like, you're going to have a scene where, yes, from a narrative standpoint, Thor's big hammer quest is really kind of pointless. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, he gets a hammer. Like, it's a lot of time to vote to one guy getting a hammer. But because he's on that quest, you get a really nice scene of him and Rocket and Thor reckoning with all that he has lost in the last two moves, like in Infinity War and in Ragnarok. And I think taking the time for that is valuable and valid, and it really respects the both characters. And at the end, you get a nice little, like, you know, like Thor's like, what more could I have to lose? What more do I have to lose? And Rocket's like, I got a lot to lose. I could lose a lot. <laughs> you know, like just it never loses sight of its characters. And which is impressive when you have a cast of like 22 people. So I, I, I give it respect for that. Um, and I think because you like those characters, it makes it far more engaging than if it had been trying to work on a plot level because a plot was never going to be able to resolve itself in half a movie. Yeah, <laughs> I also uh, I'm not into the Vision Scarlet Witch romance. I know that it's from the comics. Um, they, well, they don't build it. That's the problem. Like it's yeah, it's I don't it, buy it. You don't buy it because it hasn't any time and had any time to exist. Like they've had they had a night they had a couple nice scenes together in Civil War, and now they're back and they've like been and then apparently they're in love and it's just like yeah. there's not enough like that's the other thing like it's one thing for Thor like Thor has his own movies to address like so you buy Thor because you've gone on these journeys with Thor like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had time to invest in his story it has had no time to invest in Scarlet Witch and Vision so that just has to be there <laughs> Yeah. So when we get to the scene of Scarlet Witch, you know, having to kill Vision, I don't really care. Right. It doesn't. It's a soulless well, bastard. Well, yeah, a soulless bastard. It hasn't earned it. It just hasn't yeah. earned it. And it's a, it's a, it's a nice plot. Like what that scene is hoping for is that if you're a fan of them in the comics, you're carrying that emotion rather than anything the films have done to create it, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the ending. Which and then is, we get to the ending, which is dumb. <laughs> like it's I'm, I mean I'm sorry it's dumb it's 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 one of those things where 
and I wrote about this at the time, it's an ending that splits its audience. If you are someone who doesn't closely follow movies, like if you just casually see like, you know, oh, I'm going to see Marvel Infinity War because it's one of the biggest films of the year. I'll go see Infinity War. But like also I'm a person that doesn't need to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. You know, yeah. you don't need to see everyone. You just want to see the big ones. So you see Infinity War and you're like, whoa, I didn't know. I don't follow this closely. So did they just kill half the people? That's weird. <laughs> that I didn't see that coming. But if you follow it closely, like it's our job, it's our business to know these things. And you're like, and you see, you know, T'Challa disintegrate, and you're like, you're making Black Panther too. <laughs> like he's not dead. What yeah. ha- like that? The thing you showed me, I know, did not happen, and it makes it an, an infuriating experience. And even now. I go into like, I'm really excited for Endgame, but I also am going into it with a lot of skepticism because Marvel films love the status quo. They are movies that really aren't about making the world better. They're about saving the world, which again, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I don't, I think, you know, criticizing them for, I think that'd be like criticizing a firefighter for not working in construction. Some people's job is to save things. Other people's job is to build things. It is the job of superheroes to save things. That is fine. But if that is your purpose to restore the status quo, then how can I look at Endgame as anything other than a giant undo button? You know? Yeah. And really what it seems to be is like Endgame is making a trade. And the trade-off yeah. is these new characters that you thought you lost, even, you know, you didn't, but assuming you thought you lost them, like Spider-Man, like Black Panther, um, they're not really gone. They're the future, but your characters like Iron Man and Captain America, they are done. So that's which the is, trade you're making. Which is why I think I'm going to like in-game more because, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the whole dusting, it was just an excuse to get the original Avengers back together. And for them to have one last ride where they have to save the world without all the extra characters around. And they're going to lose some people probably. And, uh, you know, they'll, we will probably never see Chris Evans as Captain America again. Um, but, uh, that I can get on board with that. I'm excited about, um, but the ending of Infinity War just fell flat to me. I mean, you were, you were there. I, I hopped on Slack on my phone from the theater and I said, that was bullshit. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So. I mean, that's the problem. Like, you can't have it both ways. Like, either... Like, I get it. It's a halfway point. So if you look at it as a halfway point, you're like, okay, this is a bad thing to happen at the halfway point. But yeah. you also have to accept it's a half... It's not the end. It is not the ending at all. And so it's just this weird sort of quasi-cliffhanger that works based on how ignorant the audience is. And I don't use ignorant as an insult. I mean, ignorant in terms of lacking of knowledge of how these things work. It's yeah. a, it's an audience that will it and look, the thing is is that Marvel wisely does not make movies specifically for comic book fans or just for movie nerds. They make it for the broadest audience possible. So they are like I think they made an a, a film an, an ending that works for the majority of its audience even if it doesn't work for folks like you and me. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. So you're probably listening and saying you guys are idiots. I really liked it, um, which is true of most people. Most people like the ending of Infinity War. Um, but as someone who covers this for a living, it was just just kind of annoying. 
But I will say, given the caveat that uh, I like what it sets up for Endgame, and I think I said this when we recorded our Infinity War podcast last year, um, I'm kind of withholding judgment on the whole thing until I see Endgame, because it's very clearly just a part one. I mean, no matter how many times the Russo brothers say it, I can't take Infinity War as a standalone movie. Yeah, no, it's not a standalone movie. It is part one. And, you know, look, I'm very curious to see how Infinity War will work once I know how Endgame turns out. Yeah, maybe it feels just like entirely hollow. (laughs) It's just like, well, that was a pointless adventure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Avengers Infinity War, again, is the experience. It's the experience of mixing and matching characters who you haven't seen before, interact, watching them come together. But Thanos is the protagonist. And whereas Infinity War is Thanos' story, Endgame gets to be the Avengers' story. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how it all comes together. But it is a film that I am surprised that I found. I'm surprised at how rewatchable I find it. Given all the issues I have with it, I'm surprised that I've gone back to it. as I've gone back to Infinity War more times than I've gone back to Black Panther, even though I will easily admit that Black Panther is the superior film. Sometimes <laughs> it's just a matter of like, what do you want to have on and like, doesn't make like, it's just fun and doesn't make demands of you. Infinity War, like as a movie is the, Oh, Groundhog Days on cable of movies. Ex- yeah. Like I can pop in and watch this 10 minute segment and be delighted and then move on with my life. Right. Although Groundhog Day is a legit great film. Yes. Yes, it is. But like one of, you know, one of those like movies that's on cable that like, oh yeah, I've seen it a million times and I can pop in and watch it for five or 15 minutes and just feel completely satisfied just having seen that little bit. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for making a watchable film. I think that that has value. Yeah. Yeah. Although I I think Black Panther is still extremely watchable i've i've watched that three or four times now uh and it's it's a lot of fun it's heavy but it's a lot of fun yeah i need to go but i i'm my plan i'm hoping to try to rewatch it before i see endgame but we'll see um i mean i own it i own most of the marvel movies um, go for it which yeah. don't you own out yourself out myself i do not own iron man 2 i don't own thor the dark world <laughs> the I, bad one i yeah i don't own doctor strange and I think that's it. Yeah, that, those are the, those are the three. I don't <laughs> that checks out. Yeah, I don't. I don't need them. <laughs> don't don't need those movies. I'm good. I have no. I would have no desire to rewatch them. Um, and I will say the the next moving on. I would actually really have no desire to watch Ant Man and the Wasp, but the Disney sent it to me for review, <laughs> and you can read about what I thought about the 4K on the website. But um, like Ant Man and the Wasp was like, if Ant Man and the Wasp were like five dollars i'd buy it like okay it's five dollars like it's not like a worthless movie but it's like i'm not i don't want to pay twenty dollars for it is what i'm saying um it's so slight it's ant-man of the lost is kind of like thor ragnarok without anything dazzling about it um it's the same kind of film like it's it's very much like this is a movie that doesn't want to take anything seriously it is a film that is all about jokes, like joke, 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 joke. Like that's, that is what its wavelength is. It's very much light. It wants to have fun. Like there's a scene where they're all tied up and they're in danger and they're still cracking jokes. Like it's like, there's not, (laughs) there's no weight to Ant-Man and the Wasp to the point when you get to the, to the end credit scene, it's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Like, I get it. Like it's, I get why it's there, but it is completely out of tone with the rest of the movie. 
Um, Because the rest of the movie is just very light and fluffy and as a palate cleanser to Infinity War, sure. (laughs) Um, As a film to keep on in the background, like the first Ant-Man, sure. But it's not a film that sticks with you in, in any way at all, which it's just kind of like, it's another film that kind of succeeds because of good casting, but storytelling wise, it's, it's very slight. Yeah. And unlike Thor Ragnarok, it's not new or different enough for the whole, you know, take nothing seriously to uh, be appealing. Like, cause it's just, it's very similar to Ant-Man to me. Um, it doesn't feel that dissimilar. Uh, it's, it's just more slight, funnier, and, uh, you know, with less intimidating villains. Yeah, I mean... Less intense stakes. Right, which, again, is not the worst thing. Like, I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp could have no villains, and you wouldn't really notice that much of a change. It doesn't have any villains. It really does. It really does. Like, Ghost is kind of a villain. Walton Goggins is kind of a villain. But really, the whole film is just, like, Ant-Man, the Wasp, and Hank Pym are chasing after a box. That's yeah. really most of the film. They're chasing at, I mean, the box is the laboratory shrunken down, but it's three characters chasing after a box. <laughs> yeah. And that's your movie. Um, and like, I get it. Like there's emotional stakes between, you know, getting Janet Van Dyne back and all of that stuff. But Michelle Pfeiffer is not in this movie that much. It's no, kind of a waste of Mel Sh- Michelle Pfeiffer. Who's a great actress. Yeah. Um, it's fine. Like it's fine for what it is. I, I feel like even the act of discussing it is just like <laughs> more than it deserves <laughs> because like, it's not like Dr. Strange where it's like, this is bad and I'll tell you why. Like it's, it really doesn't do like Ant-Man and the Wasp is there. It is a movie that is there. And I had fun. I, I thought it was enjoyable why I watched it. And honestly, like I, I, I'm a little embarrassed that I can even remember Walton Goggins character name. <laughs> It's Sonny Birch. <laughs> like, and he doesn't I, even know what he's chasing after for most of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's so slight. It just, and then it's like Ghost is a bad guy, and it's like, but not really. She's a sympathetic child who was an orphan and got ghosted. So there's some morality there. So. Yeah, I guess, like, again, it's not a bad film to have on the background, but, like, I don't know if I would ever be like, I need to sit down and take two hours to rewatch Ant-Man and the Wasp. Because I would feel like that's two hours that could be spent on another movie. That's just n- another movie could fill my... Even if that movie is bad, that film would at least have the chance to leave an impression on me. Whereas Ant-Man and the Wasp has left no impression. Yeah, I did it last month when I watched Infinity War as well. <laughs> um, oh, Okay. Because all my movies were boxed up and Ant-Man and the Wasp is on Netflix. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, And it just doesn't hold my attention. It's Again, it's not a bad movie. um, But it's not something like Infinity War where it'll get to uh, like Thor and the Guardians. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to watch this part. um, Because this part's really fun. Ant-Man and the Wasp, I I was on my phone for half the movie. I was just like, oh, yeah. It's a movie designed to be watched while you're on your phone. Like it's – I mean, I know Netflix is going to have to give up all of its Dis- all of its Marvel movies, but maybe you know that is the perfect Netflix movie, <laughs> just yeah. like on your phone while you watch it. And it's not like there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I think it's just well, maybe there is. Maybe it's just that the the stakes are not high enough. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two uh, also doesn't really have much of a plot uh, or much of a villain until the end, but it's so thematically rich and so character rich that it's compelling and satisfying yeah whereas ant-man and the wasp 
I mean, what more does Scott Lang have to learn at this point? I mean, they're like kind of mad at him for taking the suit, but not really. It's and, a film that's struggling to find a reason to exist. Yeah. And because, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is in this movie and because she's only in the beginning and flashbacks and then not in there again, you're like, well, obviously they shave, they save Janet Van Dyne. So we'll just wait until that happens. So even from a, like people are saying, oh, you have to, it's really important to watch before Endgame because of the quantum realm. It's like, well, for one, maybe, but for two, like you could explain the quantum realm in two sentences. It's fine. Yeah. It's not as trippy and as fun as it should be. No, no. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess it was a disappointment at the time. It's just very like fine. Yeah. I've said fine a lot here. Exactly. Let's move on to a film that is also fine, but but has the benefit of being interesting, which yes. is Captain Marvel. Yes. Uh, which we we're, you know we were, I don't think we need to go long on Captain Marvel since we literally talked about it last month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but I will say it's a film that shows to me Marvel's greatest strength, which is casting and character. I think because Marvel understands if you have those two things, like story can always be reworked for the next movie like that. You can fix story, but if you don't have the right character that audiences are going to care about, they're not going to come to that movie no matter what. Like you, like the thing is, is like when you show them that they like the character, you have a chance at a more successful sequel. Like Thor Ragnarok is a more successful film than Thor the Dark World because people like Chris Hemsworth and they like seeing him as Thor. And mm. when you said, okay, well, we're going to take Thor who you like, but we're going to put him in a radically different movie. Like, and people saw that trailer. It's like, he's a friend from work. Like we were like, oh, this is crazy. This is like way different, but I'm on board. And I think Captain Marvel is kind of the, is kind of the same thing in that you like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel and you like the Captain Marvel character who feels different than other Marvel heroes. It feels like a unique character. It's just the film that surrounds her is very bleh. Yeah. So you kind of have to deal with it and hope that the next time there's a Captain Marvel movie, it'll be better. Yeah. Uh, Brie Larson and Captain Marvel kind of make Captain Marvel worth seeing. And we discussed on our podcast, there, there are other um, compelling and substantial aspects of, of Captain Marvel. Uh, I think the chemistry with Nick Fury is good. Uh, I really like um, what the twist does to the characters in the story. Um, but overall, it's a little bland, uh, a little lacking in uh, kind of, um, I don't know, character. There's, well, there's no panache. There's yeah. no like, I mean, because they're trying to do a different kind of origin story, it just gets end up being muddled. And so yeah. it's like, she doesn't know who she is, but she has to do things. So you have to figure out why she's doing the things. And then she's like, I'm learning about who I am. But what she learns is done in like flashback and these quick cuts. So it doesn't really have any weight. So you don't, you never really see, there's no character arc there. Like she no. was, she was a powerful person. She learned a little bit more about herself and she became a more powerful person. And yeah. like, on the one hand, I do respect thematically where it's coming from, which is that especially for women, like if you're told that you can't do this and you can't have emotions and you can't be this thing. And then when you break free of that, you become more powerful. Yes, that is a powerful message. And I think that's part of the reason that Captain Marvel has become such a success that the film has made over a billion dollars. Like I think people connect with the character and her journey, but I also think that the film is rather inelegant in how it conveys that. Yeah. 
no, I would agree with that. Um, it's fine. It's one I'll probably revisit once more. Uh, and you know, like Infinity War, uh, I didn't really like it when I first saw it. Actually, I didn't like it at all. Uh, and then I watched it again, and I liked it a little bit more. And then again, and I liked it a little bit more. So I'll be curious to see. You've seen it three times. Uh, yes. I saw wow. it in theaters. I saw it on Blu-ray, and then I watched it last month on uh, Netflix. Oh, Infinity War. I, oh yeah, I, no. I thought you were talking about Captain Marvel. Like I saw it again, and I saw I'm like, wow, three times <laughs> in the theater. My good, my goodness. No, no. I'm saying I'm curious to rewatch Captain Marvel to see like, oh, there's a little more here that I missed, or there's something compelling here that I'll maybe give this one another watch another time down the road. Because um, there are aspects of it that are compelling, but I have a feeling that like Doctor Strange, it's going to be one of those things where like I really like the character, and I'll be eager to see her in more things, but don't love the origin story movie. That's sort of my feeling about it as well. Like, I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, but as a, as a, as a intro film, which again is not the worst thing. Like Thor's intro film is fine. It's nothing like, as we talked about, like it's got some great characters, but the film itself has some issues. At least you've given yourself a character and an actress that gives you the potential to do better next time. And I think that's the best thing you can sort of say about Captain Marvel is that, even if the film itself doesn't work for you, you're on board with, with Larson and Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's a wrap on our, on our, on our MCU retrospective. Uh, as we record this, I am, I, do you see Endgame on Tuesday? I'm one week away from seeing it. Uh, I do not think I see it on Tuesday. I haven't received the invite yet from my area, but, uh, yeah, I don't think, in I think any I'll be ev- seeing it on third next Thursday with with the rest of the rubes. Right. In any event, we're very close to Endgame, and yes. obviously we will devote an entire podcast just to that. Um, but you know, it's fun. I I, I honestly think like yes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has its ups and downs, but it is overall a surprisingly consistent franchise. Where yeah. even the bad ones are films that are watchable. Yeah, You know, like there are films that you can take things from and be like, oh, I don't. It's not like Hellboy where it's like, don't make me sit through this again. (laughs) Never make me watch this again, please. (laughs) So excited to watch that on HBO. I don't know if you're ever going to get to see it on HBO because it's a Lionsgate movie. Yeah, that's true. What is what does Lionsgate have a deal with? Like epics, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Um, But I will say that, uh, yeah, Marvel... I would say that there has not been a, a franchise as consistent and long running since Harry Potter. Would you say that that's fair? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. It's uh it's staggering. Um, just kind of the, the achievement here. Um, and so many ways it could have gone wrong. And even like the fact that it can survive movies like, um, you know, like Game man of the wasp got fine reviews, uh, and it did well at the box office. It's a movie that no one really talks about anymore, but it grossed $622 million and they're like, yeah, no chump change. Yeah. Just add it, add it to the docket. Like they don't, they're not really doing any Thor, the dark worlds anymore. or Iron Man twos where it's just like such a crazy, massive misstep that, uh, you know, everyone is just kind of like, Ooh, don't like that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm I'm also very excited to. I'm sure later this year we'll finally get Marvel unveiling what their plans are for a post Endgame world. Yes, so, for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening to this uh, first mini series we've ever done. It was really yes. fun revisiting all these movies. Um, you know, in this in this business and the way that we do our show, uh, we are constantly looking at the at the newest movie. Like, you know, what came out this past weekend, and it's fun to go back in time and see how things have developed and delve into the history and how films, you know, the struggles they had to, had to overcome to even get made and, and things like that. And I, I think it's been really fun to sort of just revisit these 21 movies. Yeah, no, I, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, this time. I hope that our listeners have also enjoyed this. Uh, and we hope this is the first of many, many series. Yes. So if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next time.